G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. And you notice that our world today downplays, downplays the murdering and the persecution and killing of Christ's followers. Very seldom do you hear about it in the media because these antichrist authorities are wanting to debunk the idea of God to persecute his people and to dishonor his name. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill and this is Today with Jeff Vines. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, Pastor Jeff is finishing a message from Revelation chapter 13. If you missed the start of this series, you can find all the episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines and the Revelation series. Today, Pastor Jeff will speak about how the spirit of the Antichrist can be seen in our world today. It's a reminder of the spiritual battle that we're living in. So let's join Pastor Jeff now as he finishes this message from Revelation chapter 13. As you read the history of Germany, with Hitler and the church in Germany, what you discover, two things. First of all, you discover a long line of men who believed that Christianity and the cross was stifling Germany's thirst for blood and power. They actually believed that there were too many Christ followers in Germany who saw the cross as merciful and gracious and forgiveness. And Hitler and many before him believed we've got to get rid of the symbol of the cross. If we can get rid of the symbol of the cross, we'll get rid of a whole generation of mercy and sympathy. Hitler believed that the cross had weakened the German people. And so rather than doing away with the cross completely, what he did is he took the cross, as did many others who followed the occult, and he turned the cross into a broken cross, which became the swastika. Hitler believed that the broken cross, what was called the Hakenkreuz, should become the symbol of the new order and the new Messiah and the new Nazi to show that their ultimate allegiance now was to a new Messiah, Hitler himself. And he said, if we can break Christ's hold, men will be able to trust their own instincts. They would no longer be citizens of two worlds, but would be rooted in the single eternal life of this world. And Hitler said, I am the Messiah with a divine mission to save Germany. And just like Christ, I carry a whip to drive out the Jews. And just like Jesus' birth that changed the calendar, so also will my victory over the Jews issue in the beginning of a new age. And in his speech just days before becoming chancellor, Hitler parodied the Lord's prayer, promising that under him a new kingdom would come upon the earth and that his would be the power, the glory forever. Amen. And millions did treat Hitler as a god. Rudolf Hoss, the commander of Auschwitz, stated during the Nuremberg trials before his election, execution rather, in 1947, he said that he would have gassed and burned his own wife, children, and even himself if only the Fuhrer had commanded it. 
And at the Nuremberg rally, there was a giant photo of Hitler captioned with these words. Think about this, Hitler speaking. And the caption read, in the beginning was the word. And the Lord's prayer was changed to read, our father Adolf, who art in Nuremberg, hallowed be thy name, thy third right come. Now, in the information I just gave you, you might be somebody who says, there you go. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Now I know who the Antichrist was. Because Jeff, that's pretty good proof right there. The problem is, folks, I could repeat that scenario hundreds of times over human history. Whether it be Nero, Domitian, Stalin, who was a seminary student turned atheist, Mussolini, Robert Mugabe today, and many others. There will always be leaders with a messianic complex who usurp the power and authority of God because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. There are people who strongly believe that Hitler was the Antichrist and they'll read Revelation 13, 3 and say, see, it says one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. And then they'll say, see, in July 1932, the Nazis won 37% of the vote, but President Hindenburg refused to name Hitler as chancellor. So people believe that Hitler had been forgotten and mistrusted and the Nazi party would fade away into oblivion. But through a series of unfortunate events that almost seemed miraculous, On January 1933, Hitler became chancellor of Germany. And they'll say, see, it appeared though he was dead and then he was resurrected. And my point would be this. Okay, maybe you're right, but he's still only one of many. You can repeat this scenario time and time again through world history. And the vision that John saw opened his eyes to something. That the dragon would give his power and throne and authority to the beast of the sea that represents the authorities and powers and governments that are anti-godly, anti-Christ, that are evil, malicious, and vile. The real power behind the throne is the dragon. Now, can we all take a deep breath? I know I need to. (laughs) This week, as I set up in my office, and I think this happens to pastors all the time. Are you with me? Yes. I believe there are times when you hear the voice of the Lord. It's not audible. I don't hear an audible voice. Some do. Well, good for you, but I don't. But there are times you'll get an impression on us. Wow, God, is that you? And this week, as I'm going through this entire study, I'm thinking, I think it's my call to wake our people up. And then the thought comes, maybe you should wake up first. Do you understand that Satan has been executing a well-designed plan to thwart the kingdom of God from day one? And I want to tell you that the reason so many people live defeated lives is not because they don't believe in the power of God. It's because they don't believe in the power of Satan. They don't truly believe that there's an enemy that regularly attacks your emotions and your thoughts and your belief system and your worldview and your attitudes and the philosophies. We got to wake up. Do you understand that there's someone who comes after you every day that you might blaspheme the name of God by adultery, by serving and pursuing and giving honor to something else other than God, by making money your top pursuit, power, position, by worshiping sex and those things over and above God. You know you don't have to be in government to be an idolater. There's someone who's after you every day that you might blaspheme the throne of God with apathy. 
that you don't live a life of gratitude saying, God, I realize you're large and in charge and everything is yours, Lord, so I belong to you. Instead, you live your life building your own kingdom. And in doing that, you're blaspheming the throne of God or blaspheming the house of God. There are many of you who look at this and the gathering of God's people as one of many options you may do on a Sunday morning. The Bible says, do not forsake assembling together, meeting together. There's a reason it says that that I'll get to in a moment. The point is, folks, do you realize that you and I have to wake up? That there are two kingdoms in operation that are diametrically opposed to each other. Stay with me. Let me show you how dangerous this is. Do I have you? You here? Adolf Eichmann was a ruthless murderer, an architect of the Holocaust. I mean, this is a guy who came up with the idea of putting children, little babies, into gas ovens to exterminate them as quickly as possible, who ordered the killing of entire villages for convenience sake, who actually came up with some of the ideas to do experiments on human bodies that were still living. After the war ended, like many others, he escaped. Peter Malkin, one of the men who uh, was a Nazi hunter, desperately wanted to find Adolf Eichmann and bring him to justice. And through a series of long events, they found Eichmann living in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Malkin would park his car with the Mossad across the street from Eichmann's apartment to watch every day for two months his comings and goings so that he would know the right time and the right place to capture him. And as he watched the apartment, every day, Eichmann would come home after work. And as soon as he knocked on the door, a blonde-haired boy, about 12 years old, with blue eyes, would come out. And Eichmann would hug him and squeeze him. It was his son. This confused Malkin. He couldn't understand why a man who commits such atrocity could ever show that kind of love and intimacy to somebody else. Finally, the day came when they knew exactly where Eichmann was going to be, and Malkin gathered his troops. And just a simple little thing, he walked up just before Eichmann entered his door, tapped him on the shoulder and said, un momento, or one one moment. And as soon as he turned around, they gathered, they threw him in the back of a car. And if you know the rest of the story, he was tried, he was hanged. But on the way in the car, from the capture to the trial, Malkin had a few moments with Eichmann, And in his book, he writes, he could not resist the urge to ask Eichmann the question, and so he did. He said, you know, I've watched you for two months hug your little boy. Do you know the Germans killed my little nephew that I love just like you love your son? How is it that you can show so much love and intimacy with your son and murder thousands of young men and women? Eichmann's response was this, but wait a minute, your son was Jewish, wasn't he? Now, how do you get to there? You get to there slowly with propaganda, with the evil one entering your mind. You raise a generation. You don't get there overnight. You're not born into that. And my point is this. Do you understand that your life is a swift stream and it's going away from God? And if you think you can be neutral and make no advance toward the front, 
There's no such thing as neutrality. You're either breaking down the barriers, you're rushing the kingdom, or you're going backwards and the kingdom is rushing you. That's why the apostle Paul said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul gave you two options, only two. Number one, you better be renewing your mind daily, getting the word of God, getting the prayer of God, getting the people of God in your mind. You better be doing that because there's no neutrality. If you're not being transformed, then you're being conformed. And this evil world system that will lure you and pull you away into pursuits that are unholy, into idolatry, into cheating on the faithful God. And it will come through the media. It will come through the things you watch, the things you read. You will be inundated. And if you think you can stand still, if the totality of your spiritual experience is one hour a week, you're losing ground. If there is no prayer life, if there is no devotional life, if you're not working hard to be transformed by the changing and renewing of your mind, why would your mind need to change? Because your mind by default will be sucked into the vortex of the thinking of the world. And then you will rationalize it because you're very good. We are very good at defending our actions. Life is a stream, man, and its flow is not toward God. It's away from it. That's why in Revelation 13, verse 7 and 8, it said it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. These governments will kill Christians throughout the church age. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation, governments. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. See what he's saying? There's no neutral ground. No such thing. You're either on the side of truth breaking down the walls, or you're being used by the enemy. And here's why. The reason Jesus said you're either for me or against me is this. Because if you're not for him, then the spirit of God is not in you, and you're not strong enough not to be sucked into the vortex of the world system that is anti-God and anti-Christ. There's no neutral ground. And so the Bible says that the battle is real. Why do you think it's so hard to pray, folks? Why do you think it's often hard to feel God? Why do you think it's difficult to give the first fruits of your life? Why do you think it's difficult to serve? Why do you think we are so good at rationalizing our evil behavior? Why do you think we shout freedom? Why do you think we, we, we live vanity? Why do you think it's so easy to do the wrong thing? Because there's a world order and world system and you're in it. There's a prince of the power of the air who's dwelling and giving power and authority over not only governments, but medias, Hollywood. He's got instruments and tools everywhere that you would blaspheme the name of God and his throne and his people. And some of our greatest failures, folks, are the things we leave undone. Courageous words that stick in our throats. Generous gifts that never leave our pocket. Bold witness that remain silent. And acts of service to the poor that go undone. Because the evil one whispers in our name, you can't give that away because God will not provide. You better not risk it. God will not deliver you. I believe that if you really honestly believed that there was an evil power after your conscience, after your emotions, after all of that, that you and I would respond differently. If we really believe that, I mean, think about it. If Satan was standing right here beside me and I'm tempted to do something and I could see him, what would I most likely do? Dude, back off. No, I know what you're trying to do. Uh Uh-uh, no way, no, no, I'm not living for you, pal. I'm living for another kingdom. I don't think the problem is that you don't believe in God. I think the problem is you don't believe in Satan. You don't really believe he's there. 
You just chalk it up to something you ate for dinner last night. When the reality is, he's there. The Bible is not unclear about this. It's not in a fog or a haze. Ministry is hard. It's hard to resist sin. It's hard to do the good. It's hard to follow Christ instead of everything else that pulls away your allegiance. It's hard to take your emotions by the scruff of the neck and lead them to what you know is true because you're in a battle. And if you're standing still, you're losing ground. When a soldier is shot at, he isn't shocked. His feelings aren't hurt. He doesn't peek over the foxhole at his adversary and shout, was it something I said? He expects it. He plans on it. That's war. Yes, the battle is real. And here's the end. Please stay with me. Here's the end. But God has given you the means to push back the enemy. You know, the first time I went to Rwanda and I love this church and I love our leadership because they allowed me to go five straight years to Rwanda preaching the prisons. I don't go anymore because our work is done. But the first year we went, I think you remember the story where 500 plus people gave their lives to Jesus. Now, the fifth year that I went, I got to return to the prison that I went to originally. And the first time I went, the warden just sent us in, but he stayed out in his house. And he said, you got 30 minutes to get in and out, remember? But the fifth time I went, the warden invited me in. We had a great conversation. But he said, you know, Pastor Jeff, when you first came, I was skeptical. Another white American preacher think he's going to turn the world upside down. But he said, I got to tell you, after you came and you preached, the chaplain started Bible studies. Prisoners started reading their Bible. And over the last five years, we have noticed a significant decrease. There's been less pregnancy. There has been less crime, less rape, less abuse, less theft, less infighting. And then he used these words. Amazing. He said, a new order has come. Most of my generation has no idea of the sacrifices made for our freedom. They don't. The brutality and the suffering of our soldiers that they experience as they push back the enemy, we just don't know. We don't realize. But I want to close with an example to help you hopefully open our eyes to what we're facing, but what Christ has done. A great example of this is D-Day, June 6, 1944. An unbelievable price was paid just to gain a toehold, just a few feet of Omaha Beach in Normandy. But the price was paid in blood. But if you know your history, you'll know at the end of D-Day, in one sense, nothing much had changed, right? I mean, the vast majority of of, uh, Europe was still under the power of the swastika. Evil was still on the throne. Antichrist, anti-God governments. There was only one little small plot of ground, a few feet of sand, on an obscure stretch of beach that was not under the domination of the enemy. On the other hand, everything had changed. Because there was a small opening, a crack. It was a tiny crack that would get larger and larger and stronger every day. Still a lot of fighting to do, but the military kept pushing and pushing back the enemy. And finally, the enemy's hold over the continent was weakening. The allies kept pushing and pushing back the darkness. They understood that the evil order that had permeated Europe, they understood its power, but they also knew that if they relentlessly pursued a pushing back, one day they would win, and they did, until the day came when Paris was liberated And then France was liberated. And then the day came when the concentration camps were overrun and prisoners were set free. And then the day came when the beast Hitler was destroyed and judgment came at the Nuremberg trials. And then there was VE Day, victory over the enemy. And there was celebration and dancing and singing. Listen carefully. Jesus died for you on the cross. And when he died for you, your sins were forgiven. And when your sins were forgiven, you were made clean. 
And the reason you needed to be made clean is because God was going to come on the inside and dwell in you. And the Spirit of God was going to give you the means to push back the enemy. And the means that you have for pushing back the enemy, the only offensive weapon you will find in the Bible for spiritual battle is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Are you pushing back evil in your life? If you tell me yes and you're never in the Word, I don't believe you. You just think you are. But if the Word is getting into you, and if, if the totality of your spiritual life is one hour, one hour, then you're losing ground. And the sad thing is you don't even know it. And your philosophy and your worldview is all changing and you don't even know it. Because there's only one of two options. You're either being conformed to this world or you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the only way you're going to renew your mind and know what is pleasing and acceptable to God is if you're in the word of God. So are you pushing back? Do you have accountability partners? Are you in a group of people who are holding you accountable that you're praying with, reading the word with, and the spirit of God is opening your eyes to advance, advance, advance? Because if you're not advancing, folks, you are losing ground. That's why I think military people make the best Christians. They know what it is to be disciplined. They know and understand if you're not taking the enemy territory, the enemy's taking yours. Are you pushing back? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? When we do prayer meeting once a month, this place ought to be packed. You ought to be begging to come in here and pray, God, open my eyes, keep me from the evil one, take me out of the evil world system. Let me see the world as you see it. Let me see you as you're meant to be seen. Let me see my church as it's meant to be seen. Let me be transformed by the renewing of my mind through word, through prayer, through worship, through the assembly of believers that will encourage me and hold me accountable. If the totality of your spiritual experience is one hour on Sunday, you are kidding yourself. You are losing ground. And God says, wake up. Wake up. Folks, one day there's going to be a parade. And the ones who are marching will be tired. And do you know why they'll be tired? Because they've been fighting all their lives. And Satan will be destroyed. His kingdom will come to an end. And judgment comes not at Nuremberg, but at the great white throne. And there will be singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. The kingdom of our God and our Christ has come. Paul said in 2 Timothy, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, he says, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. You long for his appearing because you're tired of fighting the battle. But there will be many on that day who aren't tired at all because they've been fighting no battle. They've been sucked into the world and its philosophies, and its order, and its system. And the sad thing is, they don't even know it because they thought you could stand still and you would be fine. Did I wake you up? Please. I don't say these things to get you into small groups or to get you to read your Bible and to pray just because I want a church that reads their Bible, prays, and gets into small groups. I say it because I'm afraid for us. I'm afraid we take the enemy too lightly. Please, 
make a change before you leave to advance on his territory. The kingdom of Christ will one day become our kingdom, but until it does, there's a battle to be fought. Fight it diligently, lest you become taken up in the stream of the world that takes you away from Christ and his cause. Father, I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for your goodness, for your mercy, for your kingdom. And I would pray for our church that revival would come, that we would wake up, O sleeper, that we would wake up and see there is a war and a battle to be waged. In order that we may keep ourselves pure, help us not to be entangled by the things of the world, to look to those and the ones who have finished the course, the race, to follow their example, fight the good fight, keep the faith, never become weary in doing good, for at the right time we will be lifted up. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 With Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.